Hola, hola. Welcome, everybody, to season three of the Chicago Techies podcast, a podcast focused on highlighting the voices of Chicago Techies and their experiences. This season, we will be hearing from seasoned entrepreneurs to rising stars making their mark. We'll dive into their triumphs, their challenges, and all the unique experiences that have shaped their journeys. I'm your host, Ceci Fisher Benitez. Thanks for joining us. Elena, thank you so much for joining me at the Chicago Techies podcast. I'm so, super excited to have you and to have this conversation with you. Uh, so why don't you tell our listeners uh, your name, uh, your pronouns, you, where you're from, and your current role? Certainly. Happy to be here, Cece. Thank you for inviting me. My name is Elena Kassman. I am from the suburbs of Chicago. Um, and I, my current role is Vice President of Business Development. Amazing. And you and I both met uh, recently last year at the, uh, at the Chicago Blend Fellowship Program. And I, you know, you, t- you told me about your, your role, uh, your previous role and all of that. But I wouldn't kind of go back all the way back. Where did you grow up? Um, what schools did you go to? You know, what was that childhood experience for you going into adulthood? Oh, what a loaded question. <laughs> so I, I, I like to tell people that I was born in a country that no longer exists. I was born in the Soviet Union. I left the Soviet Union when I was 12 years old. It was still the Soviet Union. Um, it is modern day Ukraine. That's where I was born. And then I I moved to Israel with my mom and I lived my formative years there. So I finished high school and my undergraduate degree I received from uh, from Israel's uh, Technion. And uh, let's see, what what else did you, oh, what was childhood like? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was just curious because what is, what is it like growing in, in Europe, essentially, right? In another, in another country, like super different from the U.S. Yeah. Um, so I, funny enough, I just gave that interview to my college daughter who, who was writing a paper on sociology and she asked me all the same questions. So it's interesting. So that was like an hour and a half long interview. I'm not going to recite it. Uh, the, the major differences, of course, if you take away the language, um, differences the the culture of communication is very different the culture of communication within the family within your the authority figures including your teachers your parents your grandparents um other authority figures around you this is all different Mm -hmm. Uh, so when i came to the u.s so first when i came to israel i had to learn the way it was done in in the western world uh, because the culture there is yet different um, but more similar to what we experience here. And then when I came to the United States, I had to learn it all over again. As, and, and it yes. was always a, a confusion for me as to why, you know, humans interact in a certain way. What is it they say, uh, their body language. So it, it was really fascinating for me to observe and learn and, and kind of, uh, try to decipher what all of it means and how can I be part of that? Uh, so I put a lot of deliberate effort into um, 
into learning that. Thank you for sharing that. I, I, I think I was always curious about that, even while we were interacting in our program, you know, like I was like, I wonder what her life was like. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm curious about your formative years, right? Like as you are uh, growing up um, and you're going through high school, you're going through undergrad, like what, what was that journey like into your career? Did you always know from a young age that you wanted to go into some type of engineering? No, not at all. So when I was little, I really wanted to be a teacher. Okay. Uh, my mom was a teacher. My grandma was a teacher. So I was like, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be a teacher. Um, and then my, my uncle became a software engineer and he would bring home these uh, perfor cards, perforated cards and uh, from, from his studies at the university. And I was like, oh, this, this is super cool. And he would bring me these little microchips. I was like, oh, I want to, you know, be a software developer when I grow up. So I kind of like went between those two. I think I, I started leaning more towards the software development, the programming role. And then when I got to ninth grade in Israel and high school in Israel is 10th, 11th and 12th grade. It's only three years. So ninth grade was still middle school. And we had a soldering class. And I really enjoyed soldering. I was really good at it. And it was so, so satisfying to me, uh, you know, putting together these electronic circuits. And I was like, I'm going to go and pursue, you know, electrical engineering because I like soldering. So let's, let's shift to that technical expertise, actually. You know, you have over 20 years experience now as a, as a, like a technologist in, in different ways. What are some of your, I guess what are some of the key projects or achievements that you that you're particularly proud of? I did a lot of different things in my technical career. I think if I, you know, a big answer would be that um, what I am proud of and share often is that I changed my industry multiple times. Mm. So I had that skill set and ability to be a process engineer, but the technology itself is kind of like you can change that. Um, and I went from one industry to another industry. So I think this, this ability to be adaptable and flexible in technical sense, I think that's probably, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that I, I had that. Uh, knowledge to to and not just knowledge but also um, this capacity to absorb a new technology uh, a set of new skills and and be productive in entirely different technological areas so you know for example I started out 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 of college I had expertise in um, in fabrication of microelectronic circuits and expertise in fabricating uh, microelectronic mechanical systems. And then after doing that for some time, I ended up working for a company uh, that um, was making abrasives and they needed expertise in surface preparation. Okay, polishing of, of surfaces, making them flat and smooth uh, as an incoming material. So that's a completely different methodology, completely different technique than taking that material and, and going with it for the next step. Uh, you know, but I took all that information. I took all of those techniques. I learned from 
from what materials I had available. And then I was able to build on to that and develop that process further to achieve better results than what I started with. So tell me, tell me about, you know, microfabrication, because you, you're, you know, you're talking about this specialty and this, this, you know, (laughs) this is all foreign to me. So I have no idea what you're talking about. So for anyone that has no experience, what does that all mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, thank you for pointing this out. It's it's my own fault. I should know not to use technical jargon <laughs> and and it, I, I, I should do better. So um, microfabrication is basically like, like the word micro is something very, very tiny. So fabrication is, is just making something. So if it's just making something very tiny. <laughs> That's all it is, really. That's all it is. Now, when you talk about semiconductor devices, right, again, well, what is a semiconductor device? Should we go into the physics of it? But the reality is it's all these smart chips that go inside your smartphones, your computers uh, that are built out of the smallest building blocks of uh, transistors and, and diodes that are mostly still based on single crystal silicon material and you build on top of them. Uh, so the fabs that we're talking about, that we hear um, about um, in the news, maybe nowadays more than, than previously because of the efforts in the Chips for Science Act. Um, but all, all of that is all you know related to the microfabrication, uh, but for the purpose of making these devices, making those chips, um, but also making mechanical devices. That's where the microelectronic me- mechanical systems comes and play the MAMS devices, where not only are you making electronic circuits, right, that, that turn on and off the signal and gives you the zeros and ones that the computer can, can operate with, but also a physical structure that, that you know, if you... Um, cantilevers and, and valleys and, and actual um, membranes, uh, you can also build those um, on microscopic scale and do something with them, depending on, on what you need done. Um, a good example that I think people can relate to would be uh, medical devices mm-hmm. uh, that, that need to go into the human body and they're microscopic. I see. Uh, Thank so you for that explanation. I think I, I have a better understanding now of of some of the things that I know about your background and, and what you've done. Have you always worked on, on microfabrication or what has been your journey for the last few years? Right. So I'm going to step back a little bit further than 10 years and I'm going to okay. take like, let's say 15 years. So okay. I was working for this abrasives manufacturer on surface preparation and I was the process engineer and my job was to develop processes using company products that we manufactured and to make sure that these products work for customer needs. So after doing that for a number of years, I was feeling a little bit repetitive and I was like, I'm a little bored. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I, I, I went and I looked for another job and I started working at Argon National Lab. And I, I was brought in as the expert in polishing of single crystal materials. Um, they needed someone to prepare these um, single crystal based optical elements for x-ray diffraction 
to be used at the advanced photon source. So now I used a lot of big words and and uh, a lot of uh, technical kind of jargon, but the point was that I seemingly did the same thing in a on a similar type of equipment. Um, but I was acutely aware that that I might get bored doing the same thing for a number of years. And I liked Argon. I I it's a cool place. It's a national lab. Um, there was a lot going on, still is a lot going on. And I wanted to stick around. I was like, I do not want to be bored in my job here because I want to stick around. So how do I make sure that I don't get bored? And I I started looking around. It's a big organization of like 3000 people, a lot of different science, a lot of different activities happening. And that's uh, kind of how I got into the commercialization part of activities. I I came from industry, so I was aware of the commercial impact of science and technology on the manufacturing, on um, products that we buy, on economy. And so I was I was not satisfied with just science. I was like, okay, how do I play a role in making sure that our science that we develop beautifully inside a national lab makes its way to the marketplace and contributes positively to the U.S. economy. Um, so, so that was kind of like my, my pursuit. And I, I did a number of things on that path. They were, I call them co-curricular activities because they, <laughs> I did those in parallel with my job. Uh, sometimes as a, I, I was paid, kind of part of my time was paid for doing these activities. Um, and that's how kind of you pursue. And when you're in a national lab, you you have this flexibility mm-hmm. of pursuing these opportunities saying, hey, boss, uh, there is this program. It's going to pay, you know, a certain percentage of my time for a certain period of time um, for a number of months, for example, uh, can I go do that? And my boss would say, um, yeah, sure. You know, you're this is your job. This is what your expectations are. They need to be fulfilled. And if you feel that you can pursue that for this period of time, absolutely, this is a great um, a thing to do. So I did the customer discovery training through the Energy i program twice. Wow. Um, that's uh, the commercialization. So the first time I was, uh, it was a new program that the DOE offered um, so I was part of the first cohort and I, I talked my coworker into using his technology that was in the process of being patented uh, to, to go with that through the program. And then after a number of years, uh, I learned a lot through the program. Um, I, I did my own technical developments in the lab. I ended up getting my own patent and I was like, oh, this patent, this technology would be perfect to take through this process. Uh, so I was trying to find people to do that because it's in many ways, it's an educational program. I couldn't find anyone to do it. So I ended up going through the program again myself. I applied for these uh, next generation leaders program within Argonne um, and, and working on the circular economy initiative 
I was I was following this path of kind of like seeing where I can be impactful, where I can be useful. Um, and then I had an opportunity to um, be part of the DOE's Department of Energy's um, small innovation business, small business innovation research SBIR program um, to inform the Department of Energy of the needs of the light source facilities, the advanced photon source. And then that led into me becoming a detailee, which is <laughs> a glorified admin, you could say, but that means I worked alongside the program manager from Department of Energy um, to, to help manage these uh, proposals by small businesses. That's a really, really long-winded explanation that I'm sure you'll cut somehow. I, I'm glad that we're walking through this through this journey because I, I was curious about it and I wanted people to know the level of expertise that you have. You you have so much opportunity. You have so much growth that you experienced in the last 15 years in the in at Argon. Um that it's completely it completely makes sense for you to become an investor to for you yeah. to know like to know the ins and outs of business development of of working in a lab of you know working with grants working with the government like the department of energy like you have this incredible like experience that i knew was there i just didn't know how it was all structured <laughs> so i'm oh, glad you that you you sound so important. <laughs> well, no, you are. I think you. you I, I definitely think you should def be very proud of your trajectory of your journey, um, because I think I, I personally think this is incredibly impressive. Um, I lately I've been reading a lot about like energy and especially you know quantum, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, so when you came into the program for Chicago Blend, and I saw your like your resume and the things that you've done over LinkedIn, I was like, "Am I at the right place?" Because I feel like you know I am definitely not as qualified you know to be in this space. But that was the imposter syndrome talking. Of course I am. But I I was just really impressed with your background, and I think I've always wanted to have this kind of conversation with you to kind of understand your trajectory. Now I think I have a much better understanding of all of this that you've done. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So the 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 path. To venture capital is something that I I haven't even touched up on. I know um, we're gonna have there. Um, yeah, so actually, let's 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 uh, let's switch gears to that. Let's go to talk about venture capital because I I am curious about what sparked the, your interest in VC in yeah, the program. Yeah. So, so that actually I I got a credit Argon again. So I you know I went through this um, Energy I Core training twice and. Um, University of Chicago, which manages both Argon National Lab and Fermi National Lab, um, they uh, offer for uh, their own PhD students, so science PhDs, and for Argon and Fermi Lab, uh, a participation in this course. So the prerequisite was that you had to do this commercialization training. But for those who went through that, I got an email saying, hey, you guys have an opportunity to uh, take this non-credit course by Professor Scott Meadow from the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. And I was like, hey, that, that seems like a pretty easy lift. Um, and it's the introduction to venture capital. I was like, well, 
I'm going to go sit and learn, you know, sitting at home, like not a big deal. So I went through that course and, and the more like every single week I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, so, and at the end of the course, uh, Professor Maddow, he basically said, hey, if you like the content here, all of you attendees from the PhD program, the Fermilab, the Argon staff, uh, I invite you to audit my real MBA courses on commercializing innovation and private equity. And I was like, sign me up, a free course from the <laughs> University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Uh, so I did that for two quarters. Uh, I, I I think I was the only one from that winter Zoom cl- class who requested the the opportunity to audit a non-auditable class. And uh, I sat through all the lectures. I did all the work. And uh, it was a lot of work. And I participated. I felt that I could actually contribute to my group's projects um, and as I w- went through all of that, I learned about the Chicago Blends uh, Fellowship, um, Venture Capital Fellowship, and I applied, yeah. and I did not get in. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I applied to the first cohort, and I did not get in. Mm-hmm. And I, I was kind of crushed. And I, I wasn't sure uh, what to do. I, I talked to one of the um, uh, you know, TAs in the course, and I got the advice to reach out to the powers to be in the Chicago Blend Fellowship and ask them why. Yeah. And I did. I reached out to Sal, and uh, he was kind enough to sit down with me and describe to me that uh, I, I just my vision was not clearly defined. Like, why do I want to be part of this fellowship? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you're right. I have no clue why. <laughs> but I, I went back and I thought about it a little bit more and I uh, qualif- you know, qualified my vision a little better. At the same time, in parallel kind of to all of these activities, I also learned about this concept of find your why. And mm-hmm. I, I sat down, a friend of mine introduced me to this concept. I listened to the TED Talk. And I followed the steps. I sat down with a different friend of mine and um, went through an, an exercise of defining why, what, what drives me. Why do I want to do what I do? I had a whole notebook on all of this, on this career exploration. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I, no, I, I, I believe it. Trust me. <laughs> I, I approach this as a customer discovery exercise and I identified individuals that had an interesting career path or were in an interesting place in their career. And I asked for their time and I interviewed them and I asked them, like, how did you get where you are? Uh, what did you need to get there? Um, you know, did you get an MBA? Did you not get an MBA? Um, you know, why you did what you did? And and every one of them kind of helped guide me towards this direction of how to select what I want to do. Do I stay in the lab? Do I step out of the lab? What are these input and, and outputs, right? What, what is it that I want to do and when and why? I have to give credit to my friend who, 
who helped me define this. For the longest time in my LinkedIn, I had my aspirations listed as guiding a team to success, which I've had even before I had any hint of having a team, but that has always been my aspiration. And um, my pitch, my self-speaking pitch for finding my why is to build relationships and employ efficient processes in order to successfully bring ideas and innovations to life. That's great. That's really great, actually. And I loved all the research that went on to find this. <laughs> yeah, I love and that. that. And I didn't stop there. I, I continued interviewing people and I and I continued filling in that notebook. I think I filled it in completely um, and I started a new one. So I, I would, does, does this book have like prompts? Like, is this like a, yes. because I wouldn't, I want it. Like you should send it to me so I can get it. So, um, and, and this is a, a, a shameless plug. I am not affiliated it is a TED Talk by Simon Sinek, and it is called Start With Why. And there is a PDF free version of the guide of how to go about this. Uh, his organization uh, makes money conducting yeah. these um, thought trainings in organizations or for individuals. But I just went and I took the free PDF and I followed the prompts, and uh, and I did that for another friend of mine as well. Yeah, that's incredible. I I love that. Definitely gonna look all of that up. One follow up question about our fellowship. I'm curious about your process. Like, what was your process like when when it came to sourcing um, startups? You know, for for our blend assignments, and was your approach mostly like? related to your background was it you know startups about energy was it startups about these new technologies like what was your blend experience like how did you use your experience to source all these startups so um this is a, a good question and when i came into the program and i was very concerned um that I will not be able to find any startups, that I, mm -hmm. I have no network, I have no, you know, database. Uh, developing the network was one of my goals mm -hmm. into uh, uh, coming into the program is to develop a network and really learn about the Chicago innovation ecosystem. Um, so I was very concerned. But also I uh, where I live, um, I live in DuPage County, and just down the street from me is a startup incubator called Innovation DuPage. Mm -hmm. And um, sometime prior to the program, I walked into their facility, their offices, and I said, hey, you're right here. You're a startup incubator. I don't need to go to Chicago to talk to startups. I would like to be useful and helpful. And I, I have volunteered there kind of unofficially as a mentor. Okay. Um, and so a couple of the startups that I talked to came from that source. Um, another thing that was limiting for me is because I worked at Argonne and midway through the program, I uh, switched from a technical role at Argonne to the um, tech transfer office 
which included actually the, the requirement or the responsibility of spinning out uh, science into uh, commercial uh, either startups or established companies. So in a way that created a conflict of interest with with the goals of the fellowship. So I actually had to, to sit down and write um, conflict of interest management plan so that I do not undermine my my job by by sourcing startups specifically from Argon and offering them this preferential treatment because mm, Argon National Lab, you know, it's it's publicly funded using, you know, your and mine taxpayer dollars. So the sensitivity to prevent even the perception of the conflict of interest is very high. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's like, I never thought about it like that. Um, and I, I mean, I imagine that made it a little bit more difficult for you because, you know, you have all this expertise, but you can't really be talking to the startups that are coming out of, you know, this, your, your area. So, wow. Okay. I had no idea about that. Uh, yeah. And then there is the, there are a couple of programs at Argon, like the, the energy I core, and there are a couple of startups that kind of spun out from that. I could not talk wow. to them. I, um, I should I have talked to you <laughs> to make introductions for me. <laughs> wow. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, then, you know, the Chain Reaction Innovations Program, which is the Lab Embedded Entrepreneurship Program that was run at Oregon. Again, I was not able to talk to talk any of the startup coming of that, out of that program. And then I found that out kind of in the middle of the program. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was very concerned that I'm kind of pursuing these two separate paths, but be, they ended up really converging because of the skills that were needed Um and, and the practice that we needed to put in place. I just needed to yeah. be careful in navigating that. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, if you don't mind, can you send me those those resources like the that you mentioned, the programs, so that I can put it on the show notes for folks that, are, that might be curious about those startups, like connecting with those startups. But I want to shift gears a little bit to the Chicago Quantum Summit. Uh, I saw on LinkedIn that you recently attended, and I was really excited when I saw that you went uh, because, honestly, I must admit that this is like the first time I'm learning about quantum uh, efforts in Chicago. Um, and I've been reading a lot of articles, one recently talking about how our governor you know, is, is committed to making Illinois like the hub of quantum development. And, and, and there's this big push for developing uh, relationships and collaborating with experts all across the globe. So I was like, this is my time to talk to Alina and ask her uh, to, to explain to me, you know, what quantum is uh, in normal people terms. <laughs> so can you give me like a basic introduction to quantum science and quantum computing in like five minutes? <laughs> yeah. So, so this is this is a, a good question, and the truth is that I think a little over a year ago, I as I was shifting, you know, careers from technical expertise to being a, a, comer, a, a into the commercial sector, I one of the topics I was like, I really want to understand quantum. This is this new field yeah. that's exciting. It's cool, and I really don't understand it. 
right? I'm not a physicist. I don't have that background. I really want to understand it. And I verbalized it. And what I've learned throughout my history, I told you before, like once you verbalize something, it kind of happens. And so I ended up, you know, getting into these quantum uh, conversations. So I still don't understand it very well, (laughs) but I I learned some of the language. So one of the things that I I heard at the, uh, during the Chicago Quantum Summit, and I really, uh, it's not my answer, but I'm going to give it to you. And I, I can look up who, who said that? Um, there was a question. Hey, can you explain this to the audience in five minutes? What is quantum computing? And the answer is like, you know, if I said it was kind of like magic, would that make it easier? <laughs> <laughs> and and that's that's kind of the reality of it. Because like, if you look back two hundred years ago, people didn't understand magnetism, and they would you know, congregate and watch these two magnets being attracted to each other without any strings attached. And then, of course, now, you know, elementary school kids understand how magnets work in, you know, in in very simple terms. Mm -hmm. It's not a mystery anymore. So that's kind of like quantum. It's, it's It's a difficult... And if you want to start talking about physics, it's it's very difficult and complicated. Uh, but but it is a way to to transfer information over distances, right? Like you have this spin up, this spin down, and it mirrors. And I have no idea how it works, but it works differently than than in the in the classic computing sense. So it was Stephanie Simmons um, from Photonic Inc. Uh, is a is a Canadian company who who said that she's like you know what is it quantum if you are asking me to explain it if I said it was kind of like magic would it be easier <laughs> to understand so I really love that answer yeah did they share any examples of like real world problems that like quantum computing can can address better than the the classic computers like you mentioned Absolutely. So, and this is where everyone gets really excited because quantum computing is projected to be extremely powerful compared to what the the resources would be required doing the same kind of uh, calculations in with classical computing. So you can. So one of the applications would be um, developing new materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, right up until very recently, the way we develop new materials, it's someone, you know, stereotypically wearing a lab coat and safety glasses in the lab will start mixing my different uh, things in a beaker and like seeing what comes out of that. So it's a little bit like shooting in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, we now have the capability to do modeling of these materials, how they would interact with each other. And, and we can kind of predict and select out of 10,000 possible combinations the you know the 10 that maybe we need to try in the lab and see how they work which of course um very much uh, uh, speeds up the discovery process um so so materials uh, you know for construction for energy conversion uh for all kinds of synthesis um, that that we can think of. So that's kind of one of them. But And in the same kind of direction, um, medicine, pharmaceuticals, same thing. You know, historically, you just put some people in the lab and they kind of put some things in the beaker and and come out with a little liquid or or solid and, 
and then they test it and see how it works. Well, now we have that ability to kind of start putting some of these models together and, and start predicting. So making that process much more efficient and faster is what quantum computing will allow us to do. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for the thank you for that additional explanation. I think I, I I have also been very curious about how quantum computing can impact even also like in venture capital. It also seems like there's a lot of a lot of excitement around that technology. Um, you know, right now obviously everybody's talking about AI, um, but I feel like there are just there's so much that's coming on our way that. Um, a lot of us are not prepared for. Um, but I, I think that's one of the things that's exciting about Chicago right now. Quantum computing, quantum technology, just in general, is has, has everybody talking and, ex- and they're excited about it. Yeah, the one topic that doesn't get um, as much hype um, is quantum sensing. And it is still based on quantum technology, um, but it is the ability to sense uh, with very high precision. Um, and again, you could um, look at medical applications um, and you could also look at um, mm-hmm. like GPS-free navigation application as well and, and the impacts that those technologies will have and those applications will have on the way we live. So it's, it's like there is quantum computing and then there is quantum sensing. And the physics might be actually very similar, but but because the application spaces are so different, they really are different technologies. Uh, so that is that is another um, area that I'm only now beginning to learn, just from the nature of of the the work that I do um, and and the the company that I work for, making materials for quantum sensing. Yeah, I feel, yeah. I mean, I feel like there are so many there are so many potential benefits that quantum technologies are are you know promising basically. Uh, and I feel like right now we're at this early stage. Yeah, yeah, we're we're definitely in in a in a change point. Um, one question you asked me that that I didn't address is about um, impact of of quantum or the the results of of these quantum technologies and how we see that in the investment Mm -hmm. side of things. And um, there is a lot of, uh, from what I understand, there is a lot of hype um, in quantum investing. And, and then, you know, then you got to dig, dig a little deeper and, and look at what are these investments uh, going for? Um, And one, the, the big area of investment has been algorithm development mm-hmm. and actual like software preparation. Now, generally speaking, even looking back at my time in the um, Chicago Bland uh, Venture Capital Fellowship, I I have deep appreciation for software and computing uh, because it allows us to do things. But you know, my core, my heart is in hardware and materials. Mm-hmm. So without the hardware, without the materials, you no software is going to get you um, to where you need to be. So then um, the quantum investment kind of area, uh, it, 
the materials generally are difficult to invest in because the in investment horizon, the development horizon and the investment horizon do not um, do not match. And the, the levels of investments that are needed for uh, developing new materials generally are well beyond the comfort level of you know, run-of-the-mill venture capitalists who want to get, you know, a 10x return in 10 years. Uh, so there is this mismatch in the investment industry and in, in the materials development industry uh, across the board. And of course, it is visible in quantum. So when you look at, you know, the number of quantum startups, uh, a, f- a very small fraction of them would be based on actual hardware development um, and the majority of the investments would go into the algorithm and software development startups. Thank you for indulging me in this quantum conversation. <laughs> so let's go back to your journey. Um, after our VC fellowship, you recently got a, uh, I got a new job at uh, the Great Lakes Crystal Technologies, is it? Can you tell us a little bit about your role? Yeah, so my role um, is business development. Um, so in the most basic um, way to look at it is um, attracting commercial customers and making commercial sales of our uh, diamond products. And, uh, it, you know, what does it mean? It, it means exploring all these different application spaces and industries that um, can use diamond uh, single crystal high quality single crystal diamond substrates and it could be quantum uh, sensing it could be quantum computing it could be high power electronics radiation hard detectors and other applications that that you know so i suddenly need to become an expert in all of these technical areas <laughs> And I guess on that note, like for any any people that are interested in learning about new technologies, new innovation, what advice do you share? New innovation and new technologies. Um, diversify your sources, I would say. Um, so, so a lot of reading, a lot of listening um, before you start asking questions. Absorb, be a sponge. Um, and I, I think the, the algorithms that suggest you news and articles on your phone or, or other news media sourcing platform is pretty good. Once you start like following and reading certain articles, it will feed you more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, just, just keep on soaking it up. Blogs are good. Podcasts are good. Um, summits, conferences um, are really good. I know a lot of investors who regularly and routinely attend technical conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one last question before we start wrapping up. I'm curious about like your your future goals um, with particularly within VC, which are invest like investing in general. Like, is that something that you're looking to continue on in the future, as in like angel investing or? Maybe beca- having a fun one day. Like, what what are some of the goals that you have um, around VC? Oh, good question about that. So, um, 
As we were going through the fellowship program, pretty quickly I realized that the standard path is not for me. Mm-hmm. That path of you know starting it as an associate level and then kind of going up uh, through the ranks of a venture capital fund. And I also kind of pretty soon realized that I do not want to run my own fund. Yeah, I do not want to go through that fundraising. Um, so I, I converged on a possible role that I could play at, on a partner level. Now that is not a quick and easy role to step into. Um, so and and again, this is what I think I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> uh, but it might change. I may. have a chance to do a partner-like activity and decide I don't like that. Um, So that's also possible. Uh, So I'm not looking at the venture capital role as my, you know, future goal. I'm more interested in exploring how do I qualify that option and a good way, you know, can I be a part-time partner? I know I, I've heard people can do that. Uh, can I be uh, an advisor, like a technical advisor? Absolutely. And see yeah. a little bit more from the inside of the structure what that life looks like and do I want to have that life? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think these are my kind of next step milestones is to even understand if that is something um to continue pursuing. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for your transparency. I I definitely think that you would be f- a fantastic advisor, especially like with your technical expertise and all the things that you bring to the table. So, well, for anyone that's interested in connecting with you, with kind of, you know, having maybe some coffee or learning more about your pr- path, like how can people connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn is a good spot. Uh, so you know, reach out to me. I, I tend not to accept random connections. Uh, if we haven't met, but you have an interest, you know, send a note, say, hey, you know, I really am interested in this and that. And and then, you know, we'll connect and we'll chat. Um, this, the role that I have now, it's, it's a rapidly growing startup uh, environment. So, uh, you know, time and measure is measured in dog years. <laughs> so, so that means I, I am quite busy and it might take me a while to get back and, and find some time to chat with folks. But but I, I, I like making connections. Um, I, I enjoy um, learning from new people. I enjoy connecting new people to existing people and vice versa. Uh, when I see that this connection could result in some mutually beneficial conversation. Mm-hmm. So absolutely yeah. welcome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and, and for this conversation. I feel like I learned so much in just the last hour than I've had all week. And I know that you're busy. So thank you for making the time. Oh, you're very welcome. And I would say thank you for inviting me. You, it's it's a great honor to be featured in a, in your podcast. Uh, it's the first time for me. I'm, I I want you to know. And you um, did great. <laughs> so this, this is this is uh, it makes me feel very important. <laughs> you are. Uh, you are. Trust me. Well, thank you again, and I hope I see you very soon. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Chicago Techies Podcast. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a review on iTunes. Let's continue the conversation on social media. We are at Chicago Techies on all social media platforms. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.